Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan is looking for an assistant professor of graphic design and user experience. And Blink UX is looking for a head of research in San Francisco or San Diego. Companies, it's February. It's Black History Month. Isn't it time to stop making excuses on your diversity and inclusion efforts? For just $99, you can post your job listing with us where it will be on our job board for 30 days and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. We also offer annual job board subscriptions. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you of a few things going on this month. It's Black History Month. It's a busy month, especially if you're black. So let's get into it. (laughs) Uh, First up, 28 Days of the Web is in full swing this year. You can head over to 28daysoftheweb.com to follow along for this year or to catch up on past year's honorees. Next up, Recognize is accepting essay submissions for Volume 3. This year's theme is Reboot, and the deadline for submissions is May 2nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Read over the rules and guidelines, and when you're ready, submit your essay at recognize.design. And finally, speaking of Recognize, there's a brand new limited edition merch drop of Recognize gear over at Mon Cherry. Go to mon, M-O-N dash cherry, C-H-E-R-R-Y dot com, and grab a Recognize sticker a hoodie, or a face mask. The drop just went on sale today. It ends on February 28th, which also happens to be our eight-year anniversary. Look at that. All right, let's get to this week's interview. I'm talking with Lafia Watson Ramirez, a multidisciplinary artist in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I am Lafia Watson Ramirez. I'm a multidisciplinary artist specializing in web design and development, photography, and graphic design. But lately, I've my big focus and my new passion has been augmented reality. Nice. Augmented reality. I, I told you kind of before we started recording, like you're the second person that's doing AR right now. It sounds like it's a, a big field to get into. It is. And I think it's still, you know, it simultaneously has been around for years, but I think it's also still emerging. When I first got into it, I got a little nervous that I was way behind, but there's so many new AR glasses and just software and things that are still coming out that I thankfully feel like I'm still kind of at the forefront of what's going on. So I don't feel too behind. (laughs) How has uh, 2021 been so far for you? So far, so good. I'm starting up the year working on a new project, actually, 
my goal for 2021 is to really just create some new personal projects and based in AR. And so I'm currently working on a project about my grandparents. My last remaining grandparent died in 2019, and I was lucky up to that point to have all four of them alive well into my 30s. And so just as as they've been gone and I've been thinking about them so much, I started noticing just the random items, household items and, and food items that would trigger memories of them for me. And so that's really what the piece is about, about these just, you know, random things. For instance, ivory dishwashing liquid reminds me of my grandma Watson and just whenever I smell it, I'm just transported back into her kitchen. So just, it's just going to talk about, you know, the connection to these items and just the memories I have with them. Oh, wow. That sounds like such a a meaningful project. Now that you mentioned that, now I'm thinking about my grandmother. She's still alive. Thank you. She, she, her birthday actually was just January 1st, turned 91. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. And like, <laughs> I hate it because, well, I, I don't hate that she turned 91. I hate that this pandemic is going on and I couldn't like hug her, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, but Have when you celebration and <laughs> yeah, but you're talking about sort of that scent memory, and that just reminded me of like every time I smell Dove, like the the hand soap, that takes me right, like right back to her house. That smell, like so, I, I know what you mean by that. That's that's really something. How did you first get into AR? You know, I've been trying to figure that out. You know, it started around 2018. And honestly, I'm sure my answer is Pokemon Go. Um, (laughs) I think that's (laughs) probably literally the answer. And I was also around that time I had just started delving into Unity and learning Unity. So it kind of happened simultaneously that I, I just started playing around with AR. And it was it seemed very daunting at first to try to create something in AR, but as I started playing around with it, it I realized it came a little easier than I thought it was, you know, it would. And it just was just very fascinating to me. I really love that that intersection between, you know, the real world and the digital world and that kind of overlay is interesting to me. I wonder if we're gonna look back like I don't know, five, 10 years from now and see that Pokemon Go was sort of like the inflection point for a lot of AR developers. Because you're not the first person that I've talked to that has sort of <laughs> said that same thing. Like, these were people that maybe they were just video game fans or something. But just the fact that you're taking something like in a video game and then putting it in the real world in a way like that was something that I think clicked for a lot of people. And they wanted to know how they could sort of make that happen. Definitely. And it's also always a good touch point because, you know, I think at this point, a lot of people, even if they haven't tried it firsthand, they understand what VR is. But AR for the general public. So I've found it's, it still takes a little bit more explanation. So, you know, if people ask me what AR is, I'm just like, Pokemon Go! And they're like, okay. So <laughs> it's always a good way to explain it really easily. I think VR also is, well, I don't know if it's really gotten super mainstream. I still feel like adoption is pretty slow. Although maybe that just depends on like where you are in the country. Like I remember vividly in the 90s, this television, it was like a kid's afternoon television show in the style of Power Rangers called VR Troopers. I vaguely remember that, yeah. (laughs) Um, It was sort of like Power Rangers, but it was three of them, and they, you know, fought enemies in virtual reality. And, like, I remember the 90s virtual reality was always this sort of, like, weird, vague concept right along with the internet, but, like, not as, as, uh, I guess, approachable. And even now, I mean, you've got devices like the Oculus and whatever the HTC, I think the Vive, Vivo, something yeah, like that. Vive, yeah. yeah, you have, yeah, you have those devices that still sort of bring it down to a very consumer level. But 
it still feels like it's not fully adopted. And that's even with smaller sort of like VR things like snap glasses and, and Google glass. It still feels like VR is a bit out of reach for the layperson in a way. It is, you know, cause even I actually, you know, because I, there were a lot of projects I wanted to check out. I just ordered an Oculus the other day. It's expensive, you know? Like, you know yeah. I had to justify it. I was like, all right, this is for work, you know? And also, I want to play Myst, but mainly for work. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think, like, none of my friends have a VR headset, you know? I don't have any family members that have a VR headset. So, yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's it's hit the mainstream yet. You know, and PlayStation, I think, a little bit, uh, possibly, but even among all my friends who have PlayStation, I'm the only one with a VR PlayStation headset. So it's definitely still new, I think, yeah. to the average consumer. And, you know, AR, at least, I don't know if I can say it's necessarily more approachable. I don't know. I haven't done AR development, but certainly, like with Pokemon Go, like we we're talking about, it's something that is like already on your phone. You don't have to really download any special thing or buy any special equipment to experience AR because it's sort of on top of, it's layered on top of, reality in a way exactly so yeah between pokemon go i love the ar feature that's in google maps now that's really cool and even just between snapchat and instagram with the filters you know i think that's how people understand ar as well so it definitely is a lot more accessible at this point than vr is oh yeah i, I didn't think about filters filters yeah. that's that's definitely ar people really yep. latched on to snapchat filters instagram filters all that sort of stuff. I didn't even think about that. Now, you also do cross-reality, which is, you know, abbreviated as XR. Are AR and XR similar? You know, I think XR, at least, you know, I feel like, again, it's one of those things where the definition changes or, you know, but from what I am to understand of XR, it's just that it's, I think it can be a stand-in for mixed reality. So I think it's, it's kind of like a catch-all that it can, XR can include virtual reality or augmented reality. So yeah, you know, I'm I'm open to all of it. I, I focus on AR right now, but I'm up for all of it. <laughs> okay. And like you're doing all of this under the the umbrella of your own company, Bad Chick Studios. How has work kind of been over this past year? Surprisingly better than I thought it would be, honestly. In terms of the work that I'm doing, you know, in terms of freelancing, it really is still more web design and graphic design. All of the AR projects that I've done for now have just been personal projects, but still, just even just in this just 2020, I, I definitely had more work than I thought I would have during a pandemic. So it's it's been cool, you know. I've also had some clients that I hadn't done work with in some years reach out to me, so it, it's been cool to get back in touch and create new projects with some people. I know a lot of uh, in-person events eventually ended up going virtual. At some point, I know last year, it's probably going to be the same way this year. And I think we're starting to see more of these like AR slash mixed reality experiences kind of lumped in with that, if that makes any sense. I'm thinking mm -hmm. specifically of uh, Afrotech that had a whole almost like a second life sort of virtual environment that you could log into and sort of be at the conference, even if you're not actually there. There's some events that uh, I think there was one I went to specifically that was like, oh, yeah, also download our Instagram filter and take a picture to show that you're at the events, even though you're nice. at home, you know, like, yeah, you're starting to sort of see more of it in these kind of interesting little ways, I think. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely been a, a way to help connect, you know, outside of Zoom. And uh, one of the major platforms is AltSpace, which you can it can either do it on your computer or completely VR. It's taken me, you know, a little used to. I think it's still weird to like be talking as avatars to real people, you know. But it's still fascinating that you still, you know, I've been to a couple happy hours in alt space and it's just it's you do feel like you're at a party and getting to to chat with people and mingle and it is a great way to help you feel connected. I also attended a virtual ice cream party and uh, that was using high fidelity, which is uses spatial audio. So you would just kind of, I was using it, I think on my computer and just kind of walking around this 2D space. But as you got closer to one group of people, you, you know, it would get louder, much like a real party. And you would, you know, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you would go to another corner of this virtual room. And it was really, really interesting. So it's, it's cool to see all these different technologies and different ways to to be able to connect in a time when we can't do it in person. Yeah. I know that there's even, you know, hardware like the what are the new Air the AirPods Max, the headphones that have the same sort of like spatial audio kind of thing going on. I don't know if it's something that a lot of different audio players accept, but that's one of the first pairs of headphones I saw that allows that same kind of I guess sort of audio experience. In mm-hmm. that way, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, definitely. It's cool to play around with. Bose had actually had some headphones that they said were they were it was like audio augmented reality. Same thing. It was like spatial audio. I think they got discontinued, unfortunately, because I wanted to buy a pair. But you know, they had some game jams and things like that where they had people create like audio games. You know, you would just hear it in your headphones, and you would hear you know maybe a person attacking you from the left side and you could definitely feel the, the, the spatialness of it. So it, it's interesting what people are doing with it. Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, with these sort of virtual spaces, it, it reminds me a lot of like, I almost want to say old school. I'm thinking like early 2000s anime where they sort of, some of these shows have sort of imagined this reality where we would in the future be in these kinds of virtual environments. Like you have yes. your virtual avatar. That's not you in the real world. I'm thinking specifically, and this might be esoteric. I don't know if listeners have heard of this, but there was this, this anime series called Serial Experiments Lane. Oh, have you, have I never it? watched it, but I've definitely heard of it. I love anime, but I, I haven't gotten to that one. I mean, I don't know if, if a lot of people know about it because it was only one like series. It was 13 episodes. It came out, I think in like, the late 90s or something like that and she like could she makes so the the main character is this girl named lane and she has this really at first in the series she has this kind of aversion to technology i think her dad was like it really into tech but then as the series goes on lane becomes more and more adept with computers until the point she has like this huge supercomputer in her room and her virtual avatar makes a connection with this virtual reality network called the wired. And like, she's one person in real life, but on the network with the wired, she's like a, like a big deal. It's a really, Hmm. really trippy series that folks can find. And I'm pretty sure it's on some streaming service. If you can find it, it's a really interesting watch because it's, it's kind of analogous to stuff that's happening now with, you know, virtual spaces and things like that. I'm going to have to check it out. I I definitely have heard of it. I just, I've never watched it. So yeah, I'm going to see if I can hunt it down. So I I saw from looking at your Twitter that you were recently a part of the SnapLens Studio AR residency. 
Congratulations yes, yes. on that. Thank you. It was a wonderful experience. It was back in, I think, the month of October. And so the focus, they have they've been doing it for a few months, but the focus of the residency that I was a part of was gaming and education. So in general, you know, it seems like Snapchat is really looking to for people to try to push the envelope of what you can do with filters beyond just, you know, makeup and cat ears or something. Um, so they've been really looking for creators to, to do some cool stuff with it. So I created a game that was based off of Simon Says called Simon Says Showdown, where you have this little monster who's giving you the direction, Simon Says Smile or Simon Says Raise Your Hand, and it's using the gesture recognition and facial recognition that's built in with Snapchat's Lens Studio. So it was, it was fun. It was fun to work on a lens, and I really enjoyed working in Lens Studio. So I've, I've just another goal of this year is to just create a lot more lenses for Snapchat. Now, aside from Lens Studio that you just mentioned, like what other resources are out there for people that want to like get into AR and learn how to make filters and things like you're making? Instagram has its own version of a studio where you can create filters for them as well. Unity is how I got started and using, there's a couple uh, VR software that you can use with it. One was um, Vuforia and another was Wikitude. And that was how I started playing around. It was really helpful. I honestly, like Snapchat, I think would be a very good start because they have a lot of really good templates and tutorials and just ways to really get some AR experiences up and running really quickly. I've really had a lot of fun playing with it these last few months. So when it comes to working on a new project, what's kind of your creative process? Like, I know you know AR, you know web design, you know print design, you know all these things. If there's a new project that comes into the studio, for example... What's kind of your process when it comes to getting started on that? You know, I think it's really just trying to figure out what the best tools are for the job. Like you said, I, I do come from a, a bunch of different backgrounds and have a number of, of skill sets. So I think it's just really sitting down and, and, and figuring out, would this be good for AR? Would this work as a website? Would this work as, you know, is this going to be a print piece? And then once I figure that out, you know, I have kind of a stronger direction and, I love meshing things together. So, you know, whenever I can, I, I try to figure out if I can combine multiple things. Back in the day when I used to do some websites, websites for musicians, uh, a lot of times I would also photograph them for the website. So they would have these pictures for the website. So whenever I can, I like to try to use as many of my skills as possible. <laughs> yeah, I saw looking on the website, one of the the AR things that you had created was like a a Black Lives Matter kind of road painting. You know how people have been painting Black Lives Matter on yes. on roads in different cities. Yeah. Yes. So it was a, it was just an AR recreation of that. So you could paint it on you know virtually paint it anywhere. And I created an Instagram filter for that. Nice. Now, where did you grow up? I know you are currently in New Jersey, but where did you grow up? I grew up in New York. My family is from Kansas. I was technically born in Kansas, but from about six months on, I'm a diehard New Yorker and have lived there up until about eight years ago. Oh, wow. So I'm pretty sure like you were exposed to a lot of creativity and art and design and tech and everything. Being in New yes, York. Definitely. My parents are both musicians, so I, I had it built in the house, you know, and it was really amazing to grow up and have them as role models, as people who are following their passion and being able to get 
paid for it and to be able to raise a family and put two kids through college doing it. And, you know, not even just my parents, but just seeing their friends and a lot of my, you know, family members, a lot of them are artists in different ways. So I I definitely was constantly surrounded by art in some capacity. Nice. I feel like, you know, growing up in like a creative household like that, especially like if your parents are really creative, they don't stop you when it comes to new things that you want to do. Like if you want to do design or if you want to do photography or whatever, they're like, yeah, go for it, which in a way kind of seems, I don't want to say antithetical to what I've heard a lot on the show, but it's interesting sort of like how much your household ends up sort of shaping the possibilities that you're able to do later on just to have that support. Like I know personally, like my mom was not super supportive of me getting into, well, she wanted me to get into tech to make money, but Mm -hmm. like when I really, when I quit my job and started my design studio, it was like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) like you have a bachelor's degree in this, you have a master's degree in this. Why are you doing this? You know, but you know, she's a biologist. So like she was in the hard sciences for like 30 something years. That's what, she knows to do is just like stick with this one thing that you do. But I'm guessing your parents really kind of supported what you wanted to do, right? They did. They really did. I think knowing the hardships of freelancing and being an artist, they definitely wanted to make sure I really wanted to do it. When I went off to college and I told them that I wanted to major in photography, they definitely were like, are you sure? You know, And I was like, yes. And then they were like, all right, go for it. So I think they wanted me to at least be aware that it could be a hard road. You might not always make a lot of money, but if they knew that it was something that I wanted to do, and you know, my brother's a chef and he's always had that passion. And so they've always been supportive about our endeavors. And now you ended up really kind of focusing on photography. Uh, that's what you went to Syracuse University for. Yes, yes. So I, you know, I always known I wanted to be a visual artist of some kind and dabbled in, you know, a couple different things, painting and drawing and wasn't very good at either one of those things. <laughs> but uh, around, I would say maybe junior high school, I got into photography and I'm not even quite sure how that happened, but I, I somehow found it and stuck with it for a bit and, and really loved it and decided to go to Syracuse for it. So yeah, I graduated in 2001 with a degree in fine art photography. What was your time like there? It was interesting. First off, I, I hate the cold. So when I told people I was going to Syracuse, they were just like, why, <laughs> why of all places would you go there? And honestly, part of the answer was I was a huge basketball fan at the time. And I was like, they have a basketball team <laughs> and an art, art school. It was a really great art school, and it allowed me to to experiment and try different classes. You know, I, I took a book making class and a print making class. Tried really hard to get into their stained glass class, but never got in. So it was just it was you know a, a great time to just explore different things. And now I guess you know once you went through the program and you graduated, was the goal at that stage in your life to go on to be a professional photographer? Yes. And I mean, it was, but you know, once I graduated, it was really kind of a period where I felt really lost because I think even then I knew I didn't want to do just one thing. And I I guess it didn't really hit me until I graduated. Like, oh, well, I don't really want to get a specific photography job. Like I don't want to work for a newspaper or a magazine. I don't want to just do, you know, headshots for people. So I, I really spent a couple years I call it my emotional growth spurt period, just trying to figure out like what my next path would be. That's how I kind of eventually 
discovered that I was interested in web design as well. But I still, you know, in, in that period, I definitely did do headshots for people. Being that my parents are musicians, you know, I had that kind of clientele already. So I, I did a lot of, you know, album cover shots and, and promo shots for musicians, which was awesome because I still could be uh, creative with it. But I knew that wasn't what I just solely wanted to do. And now just to kind of focus more on that time. So I'm guessing you were kind of doing this on the side as opposed to doing this full time or were you doing it full time? I guess it was sort of on the side. I'm trying to think of when I, I definitely had some part-time jobs. I think I was working at an after school around that time. So I, I definitely, you know, if I remember right, had some, some other supplemental income, but I, I did do it as, as much as I could, you know? Yeah. I remember when I graduated from college, I, so I majored in, in math. I went to a liberal arts college, went to Morehouse and when I graduated, there really weren't that many options. I think there's more options now with a math degree than there were. I graduated in 2003. There were not a lot of options. Like you could be a math teacher. You could be an actuary for an, for like an insurance company, or you could go to grad school. And I didn't want to do any of those things. Yeah. And like my advisors at school were no help at all. Oh. In like other types of things, I tried to sneak my way into. So I I used to do work study for the computer science department, and I found a way to sneak my name into the interview books so I could interview with the companies because no companies were coming to the math department to hire people because why would they like they but they would go to the computer science department like Microsoft and Real Player and other you know companies would come and interview people. So I'm like, well, let me see if I can try to at least like get my foot in the door there, you know. It didn't work, but I, I at least I <laughs> at least tried. tried it. Yeah. And so I graduated. I mean, I still I was working at the local uh symphony selling tickets at the box office cuz that was really kind of the only job that I could get that wasn't one of those like three things that I mentioned before. So I know what you mean about having that like that period of trying to figure it out. Like I have these skills and I know that I can do things with them, but what can I do? And I mean, this is, you know, this is like the early 2000s. There was not a lot of opportunity outside of a few discrete kind of creative roles that you could do. It's definitely not like how it is now. No, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, and I it just, I think it was just a lot of things out there that I didn't know existed at the time. So I, yeah, I just had a very narrow window of what I could do and I didn't really want to do any of that. So <laughs> it just was a little depressing at the time. So you said you eventually kind of got into web design. Like, how did that come about? Going back to college, my senior year of college, I actually took a web design course, but it was a it was specifically geared towards artists. And so you learned the basics of HTML and learned how to make pop-up windows and things like that, but you kind of turned it on its head and sort of created, you know, artsy websites and art projects out of what you learned. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it, but it didn't click to me at the time that like, well, if you love it, then like, try to pursue this. So for whatever reason, a couple years later, you know, I was on a plane either, I think going to visit my parents in Kansas. And I don't know why, but it popped in my head, this kind of, it just connected the dots that I want to go to grad school for web design. Like, that's what I want to do. And that's what I ended up doing. But I, I just, I didn't think of it at the time. And I think also, I might have thought of it 
more if I had taken that class earlier, you know, if it was like my freshman or sophomore year, maybe it would have been like, I would love to take a second class and, and see where it had gone. But I think it was like my last semester senior year. So I took it, I loved it. And then I was out of school. And so I, I didn't think to do anything else with it. When did you kind of, I guess, then decide to get back into it? I mean, I get what you're saying. Like you took the class and then you're like, okay, next. Like I, I taught a class like that for a while. And I could tell my students were just like, look, I just need to get the grade. <laughs> like I just passed me so I can move on to whatever the next thing is. But when did you realize like, oh, like later on I can use this for like a career or, or to make money or something? It was really just that grand epiphany. I, I honestly think back and go, how did that get planted in my head in the first place? And it might have been just looking at, at websites and seeing some creative ones and, and seeing what you can do with it. I think I hadn't really been interested in web design because I just saw a lot of them kind of look the same. But when I kind of just saw the potential of being able to push the envelope and be a little bit more creative when designing websites, I realized that I had an interest in it. And going further back, you know, I had always really been interested in, in coding and programming. I feel like I'm dating myself, but I learned logo in grade school. They taught us logo. And oh, yeah, I, with the turtle. I, yeah. Yes, with the turtle. And I loved logo. <laughs> loved it. And I, and I used it all the way up into high school. And I actually just kind of thought about this the other day, that that was one of my first forays into the, the combination of coding and art. And I've so I was like, I've always been into that mix of coding and art way back in the day with logo. So, I, you know, like the dots were there. Like I used to, to be into DOS, you know, and with love starting on my computer and DOS and playing around. And so it had always been a part of me. But just again, for some reason, it just the dots were never connected. It was always like, that's fun. And then I would just, you know, kind of keep going on my way. So I think it just whatever reason at that point in time, it all finally kind of connected and was like, oh, no, you actually really love doing this. You should pursue it. Yeah, I just remember like during that time, I'm thinking of really most of the early 2000s, how it just kind of felt like the wild, wild west in a way. Like there were skills that you picked up and maybe you did a little something here, maybe you did a little something there, but like schools weren't really teaching it. You were kind of sort of self-taught unless you maybe, I don't know, picked up a book at Barnes and Noble or you read a, an article in like Net Magazine or something like that. There weren't these sort of like discrete career paths or project types. You sort of just had to like put stuff together on your own and like see if it worked in a way. And I would say it, it's kind of like that now too, although I think there's just a much larger amount of community support behind you if that's what you yeah. want to do. But I just remember back then, like I'm thinking specifically like 2005 to 2007. It's like unless you were part of the sort of, I don't know, tech web kind of celebrity back then it was really hard to like find work and find projects and and find the support that you needed to really grow into the kind of work that you wanted to do you you really had to just sort of like forge it on your own yes and i think that's why i did that you know because i think again getting out of grad school and trying to look for jobs and i was like i don't i don't want to do any of this like none of this fits what i want to do so just deciding to, to freelance and do freelance work building websites myself, it allowed me the, the creativity to build the kind of websites that I wanted to build. Going back to grad school, the thing that really has changed my life was learning Flash. And Flash, when I discovered it, it was just like this light bulb went off. And I was like, this is everything I love in this one piece of software, you know. 
the ability to be able to create animations and create websites and to create games and art pieces and just put everything together. You know, I can add my text and I can add photography and I can add some music and then I can, you know, make this this one coherent piece, this one project just completely resonated with me. And I had finally found like I found my thing. So it was really disconcerting some years later when Flash started to go by the wayside. And I once again sort of felt lost that mm. uh, I didn't have my thing anymore. And now Flash is like dead pretty much. Yes, December 31st. It was, it was a little bittersweet. You know, that's kind of the other answer of how I got into Unity and AR was that really for, for years now I've, I've felt very creatively stagnant and I, I've felt like I, I haven't had a passion, you know, this, this particular thing that really allowed me to be creative in the way that I wanted. And so around 2018, I kind of thought that I wanted to be an indie game developer because it was kind of the same thing. I was like, you know, with games, you have music, you have coding, you have the animation and, and it's all in one. And so I started going down that path. I actually took a class in 2018 through Playcrafting. I took a game development course, a Unity game development course, which was amazing. But uh, I think towards the tail end of 2018, Unity held a one-day conference in New York where they had a bunch of different speakers. And one of the, the people who presented was he had a company that was into like immersive design and creating these really cool like exhibitions and, and art projects, you know, in spaces. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Like, I'm, I've always been interested in, in storytelling and interactive projects. So I kind of pivoted once again and focused more or starting to focus more on getting into immersive design and augmented reality. Now, You've also, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the freelance work that you did. I see, you know, you worked at Chemistry, you worked at Missing Pixel. What do you kind of remember the most from your, like, freelance design work days back then? In terms of just, what, just projects or? Yeah, just anything. Like, how you felt as a creative? Did you feel like you were fulfilled or satisfied? Yes, you know, and, and, and both working with Chemistry and Missing Pixel, they both allowed me to do really creative work, really, cre you know, f interesting projects. So I, I loved it. I loved it. Chemistry was the company of Todd Wilson, who's a wonderful designer. And so it was just the three of us in an office, me and this other uh, amazingly talented woman, uh, Sharon Pandana. And I've never really been a, a corporate person, you know. <laughs> I've always just kind of been off the beaten path and done freelance work. So to be able to be in an office, for me, it has to have a really laid back atmosphere. So. It was amazing to just sit and just be the three of us just working and listening to music all day. So yeah, all, all of that work, I really look back on a lot of the projects that I've done with Pride, you know, during those years, because it was some really interesting work. Now on Twitter, you know, I saw you've really been embracing being a generalist. And like, I'd really like to kind of dive more into that, because as you're sort of telling your story and talking about how you had all these interests. I'm even thinking about my story. Like I also had like a lot of different creative interests and didn't really know how to put it all together. Has there been sort of a, I don't know, like a, a defining moment or something that really made you start to embrace this concept of being a generalist as opposed to specializing in one particular thing? I think a hearing that there actually is a, a term for it and a title for it, because for so many years I hadn't heard that term before. So I'm just like, okay, that's an actual thing that people can call themselves. Uh, I think that alone kind of helped validate it for me. 
and just hearing other people's stories to know that I wasn't alone, that I'm not the only one who kind of, you know, likes to bounce around from thing, thing to thing. And it's not just a specialist lane. Because for many years, I honestly felt bad about it in a way. Like I, I, I felt like, sometimes I kind of felt like a failure that I wasn't the master of one thing, especially when I had people my age, some peers and different avenues, a lot of the musicians, but just knowing that they had this one particular craft that they ran with, and I'm kind of just all over the place. I just felt bad about it sometimes. So just to know that there was this title that I can sit here and call myself a generalist, and that's a thing that I can call myself, definitely helped me feel more confident about that. I think certainly it's interesting because being a generalist versus being a specialist kind of has a lot to do with in a way, it has a lot to do with job titles and just how the markets and how it's changed so much from year to year to year. Like, I would say 10 years ago, even the title like product designer didn't really exist. Or if it did exist, it certainly didn't exist in the context which it does now, which is more doing like UI, UX or, or doing graphic or web design or front end work for an actual product, like a SaaS product or something like that. And, you know, it differs per company. I found these titles differ just based on where you are in the country. So, like, it can be really difficult. Like, you know that you have a set of skills, but your set of skills may be called one thing at one place and one thing somewhere else. And it's tough if you're, like, looking for work because you know the skills that you have and you're trying to, like, do a one-to-one mapping of your skills to whatever this title is that they have. And, in a way, almost being a specialist, I don't want to say it's, it's a trap. I, I'm definitely not going to say that. Certainly, I think if you, if you get into one particular discipline and you're really good at it and you're a master of your craft, that's certainly good. But in a way, it, it is sort of limiting because even that one thing can mean different things based on, you know, a number of other factors. And so it almost feels like being a generalist is the way to go to sort of be a master of. I'm not master. What's the saying? Jack of all trades. Jack of, yeah, right. Jack yeah, of all like, trades. Yeah, like it's it's good to kind of have a little bit of something here and there that you can pull from because now what's happening is that the market is supporting that, especially like for startups. Like startups. Like I work now as a as a creative strategist, which I don't know if ten twenty years ago that title really even existed. And like what I'm able to bring to the table is not just my design work, I bring design and marketing and business development and writing. And like, I bring a number of different things under this one title that now means something. Whereas before it was like, well, maybe if I just distill everything down into being a designer, then I can just design. Like I remember having multiple resumes. Like I had a writer resume, I had a design resume, I had a podcasting resume. And depending on what the job was I was looking for, that's the one that I would use. Even though I have all these other skills, it's like, well, I can't lead with that. I have to sort of like bring it back, pull it back in a way. Definitely. I've definitely had a photography resume and a web design resume. So I I hear that. (laughs) Yeah. Are you finding that, you know, now that you've embraced this, this generalist title more that it's, it's affected how you work? Yes. In the sense that, you know, if I'm curious about trying something new, I think I'm going forward a little bit more enthusiastically, even randomly, like, you know, in the pandemic, I took up knitting and I was trying to like keep myself from, I was like, all right, you know, you, you're too many hobbies. Like I had a couple months before that bought a watercolor set. So, you know, I was just like, you can't just keep switching back and forth. But 
I think now I'm just like, you know what, why not? Like, if you want to do watercolor for a few months and you want to switch to knitting and, you, you know, if you want to switch to something else, like, it's fine because you'll still pick up some skills and learn something from all of these different things. Right. And the other thing is that, you know, I feel like generalists, because they have this, you know, kind of like tackle box of knowledge, they have more transferable skills. You know, like a generalist is probably more apt to see the big picture mm-hmm. on a project as opposed to just focusing on the one thing that they know they can do within the grand scheme of things. Definitely. You know, I I definitely consider problem solving one of my strengths. And I think it's for that reason that I can pull from different things. I'm actually reading a book all about that called Range. And it's... Oh, yeah. David Epstein. Yeah. And I'm I'm almost done with it. But I'm like, it's been another thing that's been like, okay, I'm legitimate. (laughs) But it's really fascinating to hear all of these stories where being a generalist actually was a strength in their particular fields. Yeah. That's inspiring to me. Yeah. I read that book sometime last year during all this pandemic stuff. I read it because I was looking for work. I was working at a startup and then they let go the whole marketing department right before Memorial Day. And so most of 2020, I was like not working and I was applying for jobs. But like that's sort of where the whole issue came up again about being a generalist is that I've got all these different skills and I apply for this one job. And they're like, oh, well, we see you have all this stuff, but we're really looking for someone that has a stronger focus in blank, you know, and it's like, I can do blank, but I'm not a specialist in that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, uh, it sucks. Did eventually find a job, but it was another strategist position. But again, like I said, it helped because now these titles support the fact that, you know, there are more generalists out there mm-hmm. that, that sort of have this toolbox, this tackle box, I should say, of skills that they can bring to bring to any situation. Yes, exactly. And and that's, I worked full-time for eight years at the uh, USAM Summer Camp for the Arts. And that was one of the reasons why I loved that job so much was because I was able to bring all of my skills to the table. And I, it was a dream job for me that I could do, I could do photography, I could do graphic design, I could build their website and bounce back and forth between all of those things. Mm-hmm. What is it that uh, really kind of keeps you motivated and inspired these days? I think the fact that I've regained my creative spark, you know, like I said, I I had really felt stagnant for many years. So just having a passion again of learning about AR and just experimenting has been really exciting. And I think that's another reason why I'm just letting myself try all these different things, because I'm like, I don't know what will stick and I don't know what might help, you know, inform a project in the future. So I think just this, this period of exploration and experimentation that I'm going through right now has been very uh, exciting and inspiring for me. When you look back, like over the scope of your career, is this kind of where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? I don't know if I had a specific trajectory, but I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. Like I, I definitely think that all of the roads have, have led to this, you know, and, and the path that I'm on now, you know, again, I, I think being able to take all of those different skills and going way back to Logo and Flash and all of that has definitely led me here. I definitely, a couple years ago, probably did not think I'd end up here, but it makes complete sense now that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice that you've picked up over the years that's really kind of stuck with you? Uh, my parents always instilled in me and my brother to just learn what you can from everybody, you know, just to always be learning. And I think that's helped me a lot to really just stay open-minded and just 
to not feel like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a master of this. I'm good. I don't need to learn anything new. I'm always curious and I'm always willing to learn and to just hone my skills the best that I can. That's always resonated with me. Is there anything that you're currently like obsessed with? I mean, I guess just AR in general. I, I think right now the lenses I want to get into, I made aside from my Simon Says lens uh, for Snapchat, I made one for New Year's where you could switch different New Year's hats. And when you smiled, there was confetti that popped out and horns blared. It's been fun seeing what I can do with that. I've also been getting into learning about machine learning and how that I can pair that with some AR projects. And just last night, I was playing around with this software called Reality Capture, which does it helps you do photogrammetry. I'm just finding all the different tools that can actually go back and be used with AR to try to push it and see what, what I can do with it. it has been fun. I was watching the news... So just so people know, we're recording this like a week after the stuff that happened at the Capitol, the people yes. in the Capitol. And like, you know, there's been sort of on the news, they're arresting the people and they're on no fly lists. And mainly because these people took pictures and took video of yes. them in the act, you know, some of them even boasting to law enforcement that they wouldn't get arrested or whatever. And like, I don't know, the weird part of my brain was like, I'm surprised there's not like some... AR filter that will, I mean, like obscure your face in some sort of way. I mean, granted, all filters sort of do that in some yeah. way because it's layering on top of that. But like, there's no sort of, and maybe there is, I don't know, but like I've a, seen an AR filter that can, yeah, that can like, I don't know, digitally alter your eyes or the the composition of your face or something. I don't know. Yeah, I've definitely seen people play around with that, where you know it will blur out the people in an image, you know, or in a video. They probably should have used that, but I'm glad they didn't, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they did not. But I have seen people experiment with that. So that, that technically, the technology is there. Mm -hmm. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years? Like, it's 2026. What sort of work do you want to be doing? I would love to be working on larger scale projects. Again, I, I really love just storytelling projects. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I bought the Oculus was to start checking out some of those that people have been releasing on, on the Oculus to kind of study them. In theory, I would love to just keep freelancing and, and keep collab. I would love to collaborate too. I am, I'm looking to collaborate more with people and just keep making some, some interesting work. And, and especially when it comes to just telling different stories. Is there a lot of collaboration like in the AR community? Like are people working together on stuff? I think so. You know, I'm, I'm still really new to the community and people have been really awesome. And, and I've had folks start to reach out to me and, and, and vice versa. So I, I, I'm sure there is, you know, I'm just hoping to be in that, you know, <laughs> be among those people who are doing that. You know, the hackathon was a wonderful experience doing the MIT hackathon at the beginning at this time last year, actually. And to, to collaborate with a group of people to come up with an AR project was, that was a, really a life-changing event for me because it validated that I was in moving in the right direction. And just looking around and seeing all the creative projects that people were doing, I was like, I found my people. Like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is the type of work that I want to do. So, yeah, I, I hope there is a lot of collaboration going on because I would love to be a part of it. Was that the first time that you had went to an event and... and uh like was able to collaborate with AR? 
Yes, yes. I had done a game jam a year or two earlier than that, but this was the first one that was a hackathon that was specifically geared towards AR and VR. So it was the great way to start last year. That was, you know, just like confirmation, like, okay, great. No, I love this. This is great. This is what I want to do. And especially the particular project that I worked on, it was uh, an AR piece using the in real glasses. And it was telling the story about, it was told through the, the eyes of this, at the time, young kid who his family had moved into an all-white neighborhood in Miami. And just his, his story of what his family had to endure being the first you know, black family in this all-white neighborhood. And it's a true story. So it was, it was really great to do the research for a couple of days and get to know about this family and get to know about this son who obviously is an adult at this point, but, and to tell the story through the eyes of this child and about what it was like to have crosses burning on their lawn and people burning bricks, you know, uh, throwing bricks through their window. And we told it kind of like a storybook. So, you know, the storybook opens up at this table and you see this little kid as this narrator and you, you hear the narration of him telling the story. So that particular project, too, resonated with me because, again, that's, those are the type of things that I would love to do more of. So it was good validation. Nice. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Sure. So you can find me. Uh, my website is badchickstudios.com. And I'm also badchickstudios on Twitter and Instagram. So you can find me there as well. All right. Sounds good. Well, Lafia Watson Ramirez, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I think certainly just based on what you've described, like I see a lot of similarities between your creative journey and my creative journey in terms Mm -hmm. of like having all these skills, trying to find a way to apply them. And then suddenly, not suddenly, but like eventually kind of settling on just being a generalist. I think, you know, certainly with the way that the world has been changing, with the way that so many industries have been disrupted, more people are going to start going that route, I feel. Yeah. I feel like more people are going to have to start being generalists. Like you have to break out of that pattern. And it certainly seems like with the work that you're doing with AR, I'm really excited to kind of see what future projects you end up doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Big, big thanks to Lafia Watson Ramirez, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lafia and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? What do you think about Revision Path overall? Don't be a stranger. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let the world know about the show because it really helps us grow and it helps us reach more people all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.